Today we're going to go to Mark chapter 12 and verse number 28. And if you're there, just say amen. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Another, another uh, place where this is recorded, he asked, which is the greatest commandment? In other words, which has preeminence? Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's hard for me to leave that alone. I just, I want you to know that. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. He said, this is, everybody say the first. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm going to preach to you today when the second precedes the first. When the second precedes the first, and you may be seated. I'm going to have to preach my message to you in the beginning before I preach my message. So I always tell young preachers, And I know some of you are hoping I have this revelation. But I always tell young preachers, you should be able to preach your sermon to me in 30 to 60 seconds and make sense. Like you should be able to summarize what you're going to say, whether it's three high points or however you you want to lay that out. Normally three high points, a closing, good start, three points, closing. If you're teaching how, how... to work things, but you should be able to take that and make sense in about 60 seconds. And so my figure is that that 60 seconds is a tithe on the way I like to preach, and that's about 60 minutes. Somebody said the other day, they said, man, it's so powerful when I come to church. They said, just to imagine sometimes an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, and this word's come forth. I'm like, easy, hoss. I've never, I don't ever preach an hour and a half. I don't, but sometimes it may feel like that to sleepy people. I don't know. You know. But I'm going to preach my sermon to you right here, and then I'm going to get to my sermon. We live in an age where people that even call themselves Christians love this present world. They love the ways of the world. They love the things of this world. They love money and prosperity. They love substance. And then, they also include in that a love for God. And it has created for us quite the conundrum in our society that 
we're trying to teach, and I really want to get this out today, so you're going to have to stay with me. But we have brought ourselves to a place to where when we try to win souls to Christ, we immediately begin our soul-winning adventure by telling them what they have to gain. Oh boy, this is going to be tough. The megachurch movement as it stands today, which is in my opinion, crumbling in so many ways around us. It begins with an idea of service. Come here and we'll plug you in and you'll start serving immediately. It doesn't matter if you smoke, cuss, drink, sleep around, shack up, whatever you do. You can be on our praise team, be in our choir, teach Sunday school. We just want you to serve. And they begin by, we want you to give, give, give. We want you to give. And I understand that's part of taking the towel in Christianity. We, however, as apostolics, we always begin people's journey with the Lord by saying, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We are a group that believes so strongly in the evidence of receiving from God that really, in our movement, our churches as a culture are kind of the reverse of what you see in megachurch culture. We are truly in most of your apostolic churches the same thing that John Maxwell talks about the 80-20 principle and to be quite honest, 80-20 is shooting really high. There's usually a very small group of people that carry the load in the churches that I preach in around the country. It doesn't matter if the church is 3,000 people or the church is 300 people or the church is 30 people. There's a core of people that carry... Uh, A lot of the day-to-day, week-to-week load of the church, the core that's doing that. And uh, it seems to be that way on a grand scale, so I'm not picking on anybody. But there's a lot more people that talk about harvest than people that harvest. Is that okay? There's a lot more people that get excited about revival than people that will grit it out and bury their face in the carpet and push away from the table and seek God and... Get invested in the harvest. People that when they come in, they've got dirt under their nails and their hands have calluses because they've been holding on to that sickle all week out in the field. And they don't come to church dry because uh, they've been with the Lord. They don't come to church without a testimony because they've touched somebody. And they don't come to the house of the Lord empty because uh, because the Lord hadn't spoken to them. They're empty because they've been pouring themselves out. And so church becomes the place to where they uh, restock up their shelves from the fruit that they have given out all week long. So let me help you understand what I'm saying to you today. It is vitally important that we move ourselves from the idea that the church as God designed it upon this rock I will build my church that the church God designed was not meant to be a Sunday morning Sunday night or a one singular Sunday afternoon service and experience when God saved us and brought us into this marvelous life he brought us in to be connected but you and I know as sure as I'm standing here the old saying as it is is that an idle mind is a devil's workshop I'm saying to you today that when we refuse to be 
plugged into prayer and we refuse to be plugged into the word and we refuse to be plugged into the body it's no wonder our minds are absolutely ripped to shreds every week it's prosperity doctrine laces people down with the idea that if you give to God, God will give to you. I understand that. I mentioned that offering today. You can take God at his word. But the principle of giving was never receiving. The principle of giving is giving. I don't give of my time to the kingdom of God so that God will give me more time in the earth. I give my time to the kingdom of God because there is no greater investment than to give my time and my life and my energy and my effort to the kingdom of God. I have one mission field in my life that takes preeminence over this local assembly, and that is my wife and my children. I have not taken a vow to this church, but I have taken a vow to my wife. And outside of my love for the Lord, she is my number one priority, and then my children, and then this church. But you understand this preacher when I tell you today that before I love my wife, I have got to love the Lord. We wonder why our marriages are so weird and so off and so jacked up in the 21st century. And I'll tell you why. It's because we don't love marriage as the scripture gave us marriage. We love the idea of making it legal for our flesh to not have to repent for sin anymore. We think because we get married that it fixes fornication. But fornication all along was a heart problem. Now you know why I said, Bishop, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell you that getting married doesn't fix your heart problems. It gives you a piece of paper that says, now, they're your responsibility. And just because a judge will rip that paper in half and give you another one doesn't mean... What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You can't just lay aside your responsibility to your spouse because you're frustrated. And this is exactly how it works in the kingdom of God. We see it clearly. The Lord, all through Old Testament and even through New Testament writings, we see that the Lord is constantly reaching for His bride. When the Lord teaches marriage through His apostles, especially namely the Apostle Paul, He said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. This is a commitment to love the church. I know, I know, I know. We use that for marriage counseling. I get it. But the preeminent idea is how God loves. Mm. The word of God must take preeminence in our thought processes above all else. Not what a church has got some kind of new revelation you've been around me, you know this is kind of one of my things that I, I can't, this is my soapbox, one of them. I have too many probably. But I get so sick of guys in the 
20th and 21st century saying, God gave me a new revelation that this isn't necessary anymore. No, he didn't. God, God doesn't, he's not going to wait until the 21st century and give some goober a new revelation. Especially some sorry sucker that I know don't pray and they don't fast and they don't seek God. God's not going to give you a new revelation on how to have mega church growth. It's not going to happen. We live our lives reaching for people with the promise of what they have to gain. Listen, there was a strong movement that went on for a long time in Pentecost. I didn't like it when it started, and I, didn't, I don't like it now, and it's, it's faded away. But there was a, a movement going on, a group that would say, uh, when they would try to win somebody to the Lord, quote unquote, they would say, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And when they, obviously they're going to say heaven. Well, if you want to go to heaven, then Jesus said in John 3, 5, second man be born again of water spirit, and they walk through the whole thing. Do you want to go to heaven, or do you want to go to hell? You find me one place in the scripture that Jesus said, your relationship with me is going to be built on whether or not you go to heaven or hell. The relationship with God is not built on my eternal destination. It's built on whether I love him or I love this world. What I'm saying to you is that heaven is not the priority. A love for God is the priority and heaven is a blessing to that relationship. We live, we live, we live saying, get us out of here, Jesus, get us out of here. When trouble comes and pandemics hit, oh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm telling you right now that the focus of a relationship with God was never about eternity on the other side and the streets of gold and the walls of Jasper and the gates of pearl. Those are blessings that are added to the life of somebody that has security in loving God. That's what, that's why people struggle when someone dies that has not been born again. So they find a preacher that's willing to say, well, they're in a better place. If you really want to know what's going on right there, the second commandment is preceding the first commandment. You don't get to live your life any way you want to live your life. And then for the love of people. For the love of people say, well, I think they were right with God. I hope they were right with God. They're in a better place today. Listen, if you've ever been around me, you know that I'm very careful, even with faithful saints, with the way that I do funerals. I'm very careful with the way I do funerals. Because there may be people, I've been fooled before. And there may be people that look like to me, they got it all together and they're here every time the doors are open. But I don't know their private world. So while I rejoice, I always take it from a scriptural place. And say, if they have been faithful to the word of God, then we know today that there's peace beyond what we could understand. But I always present the option of understanding the word of God. That there is an alternative to knowing him. And that is dying without knowing him. And you're always better to die knowing him than you are. But you cannot die. Listen to pastor. You cannot die knowing him if you don't live knowing him.
I know y'all want me to preach about miracle signs and wonders on this Sunday morning. I'm telling you right now that it is a, it is cutting it way too close for me, for me to get to the end of my life and say, okay, I hope it's all right now. No, sir. You don't ever know. I don't care if you're 16 or 75 or 98. It does, you gotta get your heart right with God. You gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart. Somebody just help me right now. Just help me. God, speak in this place right now. I know that you're talking to somebody. I know you are. Uh, Those conversations you have with people become a lot less difficult. When you've prayed in the altars together. You've been in the prayer room together. You've seen them live for God. You've seen them invest themselves in the kingdom of God. But I'm afraid that the commandments that the Lord gave us sometimes get out of balance. And our love for people and our love for this present world takes place and preeminence and precedes the first commandment to love God. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that this is the spirit that pushes false doctrine in our churches. I'm afraid that this is the spirit that pushes us to lay down biblical standards of separation and holiness is that we love people so much that we want everybody to go to heaven. But that's the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that if you want to come in, you got to come in like everybody else comes in. Jesus said, I I am the door and if a man comes in any other way than the door he is a thief and he is a robber it is not unfair for God to expect us if he's going to give us eternal life why can't we give him our life my hope my hope is beyond this life the apostle said it so plainly and so beautifully he said if this world was the only place that I had hope I'd be miserable. That's what he said. Of all men, he said, I would be most miserable if this was the only place that I had hope. But I don't want you to just run off with that idea right there and and say, well, see, even the apostle talked about hope beyond this life. Yes, we have hope beyond this life. But I want to preach to somebody in here today. We have hope here right now, too. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, Pastor, have you not seen the news? Not much, but I've seen a little bit. Have you seen the state of affairs that's going on? Yes, I have. Have you seen what's going on in the former Soviet? Oh, yes, I have. Have you seen what's going on in Afghanistan? Yes, I have. I've seen it. Understand me when I tell you, though. We all know the world is in trouble. But the church is not. This is... This has never been about present circumstances in the world. It's the fact that we have hope in the middle of circumstance. There's so much chaos and confusion. Yeah, out there. Yeah, out there. Why do you spend so much time talking about praying and getting the prayer room? Because Jesus did. Look at it. When you pray, he said, don't you pray like the hypocrites do. 
He said, what, don't, don't you get out there on the street corner and pray so everybody can see you praying. He said, you shut yourself in a closet. What he was talking about, if you read that in the con- context of Jewish understanding, he said, pull that cloak up over your head. He, don't you worry about what's happening on the right or the left. He said, get in your prayer closet. Get in there and pray and seek God. He said, get in there and seek God's face, not man's hand. Because if you're praying for men to pat you on the back, you just move the second commandment to the first. I want people to know I'm spiritual. Then you got to be spiritual. You don't ever have to convince somebody you got the Holy Ghost when you've really got the Holy Ghost. I've heard people preach it like this. Well, they don't have the same Holy Ghost I got. Well, there is no other Holy Ghost. So if they don't have the Holy Ghost you got, that just means they don't have the Holy Ghost. But when I got the Holy Ghost, it gave me some interesting things. It gave me righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I want to tell you something that's amazing. Whether your prayer closet is right here, or your prayer closet's in your living room, or your prayer closet's in that prayer room, or wherever it is, you better get in there every day. Because your mind is bombarded with the things of this world. It's amazing to me. When I get into prayer, and I start talking to the Lord, I forget what's going on around the world. And I get shut in with God in a secret place. And all of a sudden, the pressure that I felt, it begins to live. And the struggles that I felt, it begins to live. You've got to fall in love with God and not just what he gives us. Well, I'm serving the Lord so that I can have righteousness, peace, and joy. You missed it. That's not why he gave us the Holy Ghost. We get that because we have the Holy Ghost. Am I making any sense? And there's this contradictory world that's constantly fighting, and, and it's not. It's really not. I, 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 I know sometimes, especially like when you think of it, trying to explain it to children, we're always trying to explain good versus evil, you know. And as a, as a kid, you get this image that the devil's fighting with God, and it's a battle. No. No. Absolutely not. A gazillion, quadrillion times, no. There is no battle with God that's ever been a contest. Lucifer's like, I will exalt myself. (laughs) Jesus said, yeah, I saw him fall like lightning. Write this down next to Acts 2.38 in your Bible. There is no battle between God and Satan. Zero, zilch, nada, Uh uh-uh. God is not in the heavenlies going back and forth like Batman and Robin fighting a villain. (laughs) Ooh, ooh, man, God took one under the chin there. No, he didn't. This is not some kind of movie where the good guy's going to end, win in the end of the movie. No, no, no. He's winning right now. But if your love is for this present world, then you're judging things by what's happening in the world. I don't... You got to learn to love your neighbor and not love the world. You got to fall in love with God. 
I've been wrestling with this, trying to somehow get this through in my spirit. God, God, how, how does this work? Listen, I'm going to tell you how, how this works. Let's walk in the Word a little bit. Let's go to, let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1 is as powerful to me as any revelation that you'll ever see. And I wish I had time to just preach this whole chapter to you. Let's go to verse 13. Colossians 1 and 13. Who hath delivered us? Somebody say delivered. Does that mean relieved? Oh, man. I wish I could preach that right there. If I, if I could preach that the way I felt, somebody would get up and huck a buck on that. I'm, I'm just... He has not given us relief from the power of darkness. I want that to be 100% crystal clear in here today. You are not living in the relief zone from darkness. You are delivered. Two different worlds. If you pray till you feel better, you're relieved. If you pray till you conquer that thing, you're delivered. He had delivered us, had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Go ahead, 14. In whom... We have redemption. Oh, man, if I could preach about redemption. Through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Go ahead. Who is the image? Can I break off the King James Version and give you the Luke St. Clair Version on this? This is the LSV. He's the only God you'll ever lay an eyeball on. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And he is the firstborn of every creature. I'm, I'm trying, honey. I'm not... I... She picks on me all the time. She says it don't matter what I'm preaching. Every sermon becomes a one God sermon. Well, it's because there's only one God. It's hard to preach about the deliverer if you don't know his name. I don't just have redemption through a sinner's prayer. I have redemption through his blood and through his name. invisible God the firstborn of every creature for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible invisible thrones or dominions principalities or powers see I'm trying to tell you there's no wrestling match between a principality and God the creator is not going to wrestle with the created oh God man I wish I could all things. Somebody say all things. all things. We're created by him and 
this is this is not tough, is it? He is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body. And the body is who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead. That in all things. He might have preeminence. That means the image of the invisible God doesn't take a second chair to anybody. In he has preeminence in all things. He's not seated on a second throne at the right hand of the Father. He is seated in the rightful place of authority. John said, I saw one throne and he that sat on the throne. He has preeminence in all things. He doesn't play second fiddle and he doesn't play second chair and he doesn't get pushed to the back. 28 and 18 of Matthew, all power in heaven and in earth is given to me. All power. All power. But when you love your neighbor more than you love God, you'll believe your neighbor's doctrine even if it's creedal and contrary to the scripture. Woohoo! Yeah, but brother so-and-so on TBN said, I could be saved if I just confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. He led me down the old Roman road. I hate to tell you, Jack, but the Roman road was for those that were already saved. You open up the book of Romans and read in Romans chapter 1. He is greeting the saints that are at Rome. The children of God. Those that have already been washed in the blood and sanctified. Understand me. There is no second way to get in the body. Jesus said it. Except a man is born again of water and the spirit. But when our love for our neighbor takes preeminence and God takes second place. See, the man in first place did not call his disciples to live for him. Go read your Bible. He said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. See there, Pastor, I proved you wrong. He called to live for him. I love it. He did not call his disciples to live. He called his disciples to die. Acts, the first chapter. I've heard it preached at more camp meetings and conferences than I, if, like, if I could ever tell you. And I still like to preach it. It's still powerful. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. You shall receive power. Everybody say dunamis. See, you're all Greek scholars now. Isn't that scary? You shall receive dunamis. It's an interesting word. That's where we get dynamite in the English language. Dunamis. Power. Explosion. Wow. Camp meeting. Yeah. It's dynamite in here tonight. I love it. Any Sunday night at FPC or at Apostolic Church, it can be dynamite. I like it. Back to that 60-second thing, Pat. I'm just going to say, some of y'all need a little dunamis in your britches this morning. 
I still get excited when I preach about the power of the Holy Ghost. I still get excited when I preach on the oneness of God. But the Lord did not say to love your neighbor with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. He said to love your neighbor as yourself. But to love God. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Everybody shout witnesses. witnesses. Come on, somebody ought to be running the aisles right there. Wow! This is a soul winner's conference. Let me tell you something about the soul winner's conference. Here's the issue. Is that soul winning cost you something I'm not sure everybody wants to pay. Because when he said you shall be witnesses unto me, it's amazing that there are entire groups, and I'm not going to chase this rabbit trail, but there are entire groups that name their denomination as witnesses of him. But can't even tell you how to get in the kingdom. And every prophecy that they've ever made, they got to keep changing the magazine because the prophecy don't come to pass. So if you got an old version, you're going to be disappointed. But if you got the new one, the future's looking bright. Well, I ain't lying. <laughs> I wish I could tell you stories about witnesses knocking on my door. Oh, God, help me. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you shall be witnesses. Somebody shout witnesses. If only I had a clear enough picture up there that I could show you really well right now. The definition in your Greek thesaurus on what a witness is. Jesus said, you shall receive dunamis after the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you shall be witnesses. The word witness in the Greek is M-A-R-T-U-S, martus. And it's where the English word martyr comes from. I want to be a witness for Jesus. That doesn't mean just knock doors. He said, if you're going to be willing to live for me. You got to be willing to die for me. But Pentecost is full of apocalyptic heroes that love their neighbor with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. But God takes second place. Our church's visions are wrapped around what can we do to be more relevant to our neighbor. Oh, wow. God have mercy. This is some of the toughest preaching I've ever had to do in my life right here. Are you understand what I'm telling you? The ecclesia of God, the church. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. He did not say that I'm going to build a group of people that will meet two or three times a week and invite people to come into their building. Brother John McDonald, precious, precious man, pastors in Eureka, California. I love he and his wife. Grew up, his wife's a little older than me, but I grew up with her. She's brother Steve Wilson's daughter from Potts Camp. They're precious people. They pastor way up north in California. And uh, beautiful area. And they've been in a, a pretty rough state, even more so than some of our other friends in California. Eureka is a very unique place. It's kind of, it's uh, I don't even know how to des- describe it, but it's a, it's a very tough place 
to raise a church. And God's given them a very, very powerful church. But through all this stuff, you know, everybody's been talking about uh, how bad C-19's been, cuss word, and all this stuff, you know, how, how bad and the effect it's taken on the church. So Brother McDonald was speaking this week, and he said, you know what? He said, we decided that we could either, uh, he and his wife said, we could either go downtown and, and, and we could chant and shout and we could give our political opinions downtown or we could stay busy. And Brother McDonald said that their, their people got busy and they, they were coming to church. You know, they, I mean, powerful. If I could tell you their story, it's amazing. But he said, this one brother in their church met this Muslim man online somehow. And he said, we were using technology to the best of our ability. He said, it, it got us out of our comfort zone and opened doors for us that we never dreamed would happen. He said, so he's talking to this Muslim brother on FaceTime. And this man sees the knowledge of God, the, the, the truth. And, and he says, whoa, I need this. So he brings in three other friends of his. These are Muslim people. Brings them in. They're, they're, I, I believe he said Africa, maybe, in Africa. He brings in three more. So we got four Muslim men now that are on this FaceTime Bible study every week. And Brother McDonald said, he, he said, the way their platform's laid out and stuff, he said, when we baptize people, he said, sometimes it's just easier for me to get one of our young ministers to baptize. And then he said, I'll turn around, stand in there with the microphone and say, in Jesus' name, they put him down. And he invokes the name from the microphone there. They're baptizing. He said, so this brother called me. He said, Pastor, can we baptize them on FaceTime the way you do at church? He said, like what? He said, well, if you can invoke the name over the microphone, he said, can you invoke the name over the telephone? He said, I sure can. So listen, I'm going to tell you all something. I'm tired of the devil telling you that we got our back against the wall and we can't do anything. He said these four Muslim men walked out in the field till they found a ditch that was deep enough, a muddy ditch. And he said, one Muslim man standing there holding on to another Muslim man. And Brother McDonald said, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. And one Muslim buried another one in Jesus' name. Then they swapped places. Bur All four of them were baptized in Jesus' name over FaceTime. Oh, pastor, our hands are tied. No, they're not tied. I love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I love God more than I love a building. You know, I push, 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 push. Be faithful. Forsake not the assembling. So you know I'm not chasing down that trail. I shouldn't have to pre-qualify. But I'm going to tell you something that I've learned in the face of hardship. If you don't have a meeting, you can still be the church. I watched a few weeks ago as a typhoon came through the Philippines. We'd be in trouble now. If we have to have church. I, I know we canceled church here one night because the roofers were too loud. We did. We had to. It was nasty. Dust flying everywhere in here. And I knew for sure if you got dust in your lungs, you'd have COVID. <laughs> they were up here putting this new roof on. And we canceled. But I watched them precious brothers and sisters of mine in the Philippines. They didn't have a building, brother. I mean, it was ugly. It was tore apart. We're going to help them if we can. It was tore apart. Guess what they did? How do you have church 
If the sound system don't work, pastor, you preach like this. My wife looked at me. The lights flickered early. She said, you better get ready to preach in the dark. I said, no problem. Because you can take my mic, but you can't take my voice. And you can take the building, but you can't take the church. He takes preeminence in all things. He's preeminent over organizations. He's preeminent over buildings. He's preeminent over ideas. I, I, I got three minutes. John chapter 3 and verse 19. Somebody shout amen or oh me. I speak often to our young ministry about how much we're willing to forsake to have fellowship. How much are you willing to digress to maintain fellowship with people? And it's a very simple process when number two gets in front of number one. You'll follow a culture of compromise so that you don't feel alone. But when number one stays number one, even when you go into a cave, it's the voice of number one that comes to you and says, hey, you're not alone. There's 7,000 that have never bowed. God. Number one will still talk to you when number two has gone. But you can't love number one and hate number two. Brother Snow say, that's good preaching. It is because Jesus said it. He said, don't you dare say you love God who you haven't seen. But you don't love your brother whom you have. But that didn't give me permission to love my brother more than I love him. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is some good Jesus preaching. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men. They loved it more than or rather than the light. Why'd they do that? Because their deeds were evil. Go ahead. For everyone that doeth evil. I wish the Lord wouldn't have been so vague. Thankful he's not judgmental, aren't you? Jesus don't judge. You got the wrong Bible. Everybody that does evil, they hate the light. He didn't say they dislike it. He said they hate it. Neither come to the light. Why don't they come? Because the light shines on them. Light exposes them. If people are afraid of light, don't go chasing number two. Because they're in the dark and don't want to come to the light. There's a reason. He said, you keep loving number one and let the light of the word of God shine light on them. Go ahead. One more. But he that does truth don't mind coming to the light. That his deeds may be manifest. That they are wrought in God. You can't just pick and choose which part of him you're going to love. 1 John chapter 2, I'm hurrying to a close. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. John didn't change his mind. 
when he wrote his general epistles from when he wrote the gospel of John. Same, same time period. He didn't change his mind. But this is what he said. He said, love not the world. Now, folks, I'm not, this is not Pentecostal rhetoric. This is in your Bible. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father. Well, I do love God, Pastor. But I like doing that. No, you love doing that and you like God. I love God. But I enjoy fornication. No, you love fornication. And you enjoy God when you come to church. Have I walked out of the book yet? Go ahead to 16. For all that's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, it's of the flesh. The devil's not mentioned anywhere in here. He said, you got a flesh problem. And the problem is you've moved number two to preeminent place over number one. And you love people so much, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings and say no. But when number two precedes number one, you have put yourself in a terrible position because you can't claim that you love God anymore. If any man love the world or the things that are in the world, then the love of the Father is not in it. Oh. Second Timothy 4 and 10. This is the last one. I got to go. Every time I swallow, my stomach says, thanks for nothing. I'm hungry. Paul said, Timothy, I need you to hurry up and get here. He said, please come, bring my coat, bring my books. I need you to get here, he said, because Demas hath forsaken me. You listen to what I'm telling you today, and I don't mean this in an ugly way. But when you love people, elder, you know, you've been in the trenches for many, many years. When you love people and they leave the truth and they go to the world as a pastor you feel like they forsook you it's true I've had people through the years even when I was a kid my, my, my dad or my grandfather were pastoring people would leave and I'd tell my mom and dad I, said, I don't understand I don't know I don't understand see them out in public they act like they don't even want to talk to you you know I remember crying as a little kid Dad, how do they do that? I, Dad, I heard them speak in tongues. I've seen them dance and sh- I don't know. How do they do that, Dad? Man, I've cried. I've laid on my face. People say, I don't know how you're nice to them when you see them. Because you've seen what God can do in their life. Man, I've wept and cried and pled and prayed. Why? Because you feel forsaken. He said, Demas... He didn't say just forsake the Lord. He said, demons have forsaken me. Get your thumb out of your mouth, Paul. Having loved. Well, then how, how can you say you were forsaken? He just, he wanted to spread his wings and fly a little bit. Well, because John, the beloved, my brother, another apostle, 
has made it very clear when you've heard him talk that you can't love the world or the things that are in the world. So if you love the world, then you've forsaken the holy things. Having loved this present world, he's departed unto Thessalonica. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about Crescens and Titus, but I want to talk to you just because we're in a hurry. He said, Demas forsook me and he left. And he went to Thessalonica. But I want to tell you the problem with this picture. Is that once you have been touched by the hand of God, Demas, you're going to look like a fool in Thessalonica. Because once you have tasted of that heavenly gift, you are never the same in this present world. All your buddies that you used to drink with, they say you look weird when you drink now. Once you've been, you're like, you don't even know how to be a good drunk anymore. You don't even know how to get high anymore. It's like when you do, you're just, you're different. What's wrong with you? You don't understand. I've been touched. Here's the thing, Demas. You left and you went to Thessalonica. I want to tell you something, Demas. I know you may not realize this yet right now. But there's a letter to a church that's called Thessalonians. And I know you're trying to run from God to the world. But Demas, there's a church at Thessalonica. And God's about to give you an opportunity, Demas. You're running from God and you think you're going to find the answer in Thessalonica. But when you get to the corner of 2nd and Main or wherever it is in the city of Thessalonica, I want you to go to that little synagogue-looking building over there. And he said when you walk in the doors, there is restoration that's going to meet you there. Demas, you have let number two get in front of number one in your life because you fell in love with this present world. But even in Thessalonica, there's a chance for repentance to move God back to preeminence in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you respectfully this morning. I'm thankful to get this off my chest, but it's not out of my spirit. You're going to hear me preach along this vein all year. But God has got to get something out of us if he's going to put something in us. God has got to... We, we, we've got to empty out some love that we have for things in this world before we're going to tell this world that we're full of the love of God. There's a reason why things surface in us from time to time. And I'm not talking about just simple humanity. I'm talking about that old man that you claim is crucified, but you still hear his voice. There's a sweet presence of God in here this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. When the second precedes the first, it leads you to a place where you have no choice but to at some point forsake number one to pursue number two. And the plan of God was for you to love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And if you do that, you will always love your brother. If you're constantly spitting venom out of your mouth trying to kill a brother... You don't love God. You don't love God. You love yourself. But you have issues with self, and that's why you're loving your brother as yourself. Are you picking it up? When you're unhappy with you because you're not connected with God, 
You're going to be unhappy with your wife. You're going to be unhappy with your husband. You're going to be unhappy with your family. You're going to be unhappy with your job because number two has taken the place of number one. And you're looking for gratification and satisfaction by giving second place, first place. But the Spirit of God is calling His church back saying, listen, I've always wanted you to love me. I've always wanted you to put me first. I've always wanted you to seek me first. I know you've probably seen it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. But I know you've probably seen it. It's, it's going around. Church ought to be your excuse to miss everything else in your life. It's going around the internet. I see it all the time. This little meme. Church ought to be your excuse to miss everything else. What's that saying, Pastor? I'm saying it's the other way around. We come up with reasons of why we miss being in the house of God. Why we miss our prayer time. Why we're not fasting. Why we're not but the Lord is pulling us back to the other way. Give me preeminence in all things. And I'll put a love for you in your heart for your brother. I'll teach you to love your neighbor if you'll just love me. If you love me, it won't matter if they're black or white or yellow. Or it doesn't matter. If you love me, you'll love everybody. It doesn't matter. You, you, you can't love God and be a racist. You can't love God and hate your brother. You can't do it. If you love God, every individual you see, doesn't matter how they vote, what they look like, what their preferences are, they are kingdom potential. God, help us to love you, to reach beyond ourselves. If you're here today and you're willing to say, Pastor, I feel like my priorities have just kind of got out of alignment a little bit. I need to put God back at number one in my life. You would be so kind today to just offer that to the Lord. Say, God, I, I want to seek you first. I've been giving my job a lot of my energy. God, I, I, I've been more worried about my 401k than I have my eternity. God, I've been, I've been more worried about my retirement than I have my eternal destination. God, I, I wanted a new house. I wanted a new car. But God, I believe if I seek first your kingdom, you'll take care of me. Come on, somebody needs to search your heart today and say, God, I've got all I need to live. I've got more than enough. i got food on the table. i got sweet tea in the fridge. I'm going to be all right. What I'm lacking is time with you. What I'm lacking is that time in the prayer closet. God, what I'm missing is that season spent with you every day. Come on, somebody reach for it this morning, church. I'm not here to pull hard on you. I'm not here to just keep pulling and tugging. I'm just asking if you feel like you're a little more separated from God than you want to be, that you would just reach out and say, God, i got to make sure I'm right.